All right, everyone, welcome into the Friday episode of the Thomas Hooper Show, although it's being posted at like uh, midday on Saturday. We're going to call it the Friday edition, though, um, and there will be a Monday edition, but this episode is very special. We have our first ever guest joining the show. It's going to be Joel Dembe, a uh, Paralympian, avid Blue Jays fan, forward thinker in baseball and he's going to give us a lot of insight you're not going to want to miss this episode um also we uh my, my, my voice sounds a little crackly at the start a little robotic um just how it came out but in the in the other in, in the segments that follow it should be fine so i hope you enjoy and uh yeah thank you for to joel for doing this seen him just go on a on a tear recently he's got like 46 48 it's it's incredible um so does does this get him the mvp with Shohei otani's uh, run right now where he has not been as good as body yes i think it was kind of poetic yesterday to have josh donaldson who of course Won the Blue Jay, won the MVP in 2015. Yeah, bringer of bringer of rain, kind of in an almost ceremony after the game, anoint Vladdy as like the next MVP. And exactly. I think I think this is where it's going to be interesting because on one hand, there's this mystique around Shohei Otani because not all of us get to see him play. I mean. Exactly. Los Angeles Angels games start at 10 o'clock, but I think a lot of yeah. us have seen Vladimir Guerrero, not just because we're from Toronto, but East Coast teams generally get better audiences. So it'll exactly. be interesting to see what the writers uh, have have to say about this. But come on, this is this is historic. I mean, he could he's shattering all records and, you know, he, he's making it look easy. But of course, we know baseball's really difficult. Yeah, you know, there's the thing about Vladi is, there's been a lot of ups and downs um, this year for him. For Shohei Otani, it's been a huge up and then quite a down as of recently. Um, I think what you say about the, him being on the East Coast is is valid as well. I think more. I think though a lot of the writers they've seen this game for a really long time and. They've never seen something like Shohei Otani. They've seen something along the lines of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. before, but not Shohei Otani. Um, and yeah, there is there is a sort of a, a mythical thing about Otani. He's a very polarizing figure, but Vladdy, I mean, he's just been when he goes on a run, he goes on a run, and that could get him the MVP. I think you know when I remember, I remember reading in Sports Illustrated another sports news publications about Shohei Otani and he has fulfilled this legendary promise that I think many of us bestow upon Japanese baseball players. This was way before you were uh, born, but I remember Hideo Nomo pitched a no hitter for Los Angeles, but was one of the first Japanese players. And now you're seeing such versatility. I mean, going from Ichiro and what he brought to the game, almost bringing more of a, you know, more of a five-tool type player back 
And here's Shohei Otani making it look easy. But having said that, it was very common. I mean, look look at Babe Ruth, what he did in a time when arguably the demands of these players aren't what they are today in terms of the physicality and, you know, mental grind of it. But, you know, Babe Ruth being a Hall of Fame pitcher in his own right, eventually evolving into the Bambino being the house that Ruth built at Yankee Stadium and and eventually becoming an offensive threat. So it's, I don't know how sustainable it is, Thomas. That's what I'm curious about. But if I was, I mean, how they're playing him is interesting because as a DH, you could argue, well, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been a great defensive first baseman this year too. It's just he's not a pitcher (laughs) on top of all of those. Yeah, I feel like also that versatility is going to be key because we've seen in the two seasons that Otani, two, three seasons Otani played before this one, he was hampered down by injuries, even that first year when he won AL Rookie of the Year. And you, you wonder if some voters are going to sway his way because they feel like he might never get a chance to do this again. Like this might be a one-time thing. But look at the division the Blue Jays play in. Four teams are within – like a game and a, a game and a half of each other. It's hilarious. It's he plays in the most competitive division and he's making certain pitchers look like no offense. They play in literally and yeah. he's doing it in the AL East. I mean, Shohei Otani's doing it in the AL West. I'm not saying there's not great talent there. I mean, you're seeing what Oakland's doing, but come on Vladimir Guerrero jr. And what the Jays have had to overcome playing in Dunedin with COVID and, and all this stuff. And I mean, he's fulfilling a promise that I, you know, thought in the back of my head is, is there a chance he could get to the level we all hope he could? And the answer is yes. He just has to keep the weight off, obviously keep grinding it. He needs to show up each day, but I mean, what a leader, what a young leader on this team. Yeah. And you have also, Otani, maybe the pitching is due to there being specific ballparks in the AL West, but then you tackle the inning. Yeah, I, I think Vladdy's, if if Otani wins, it's going to be very, very close. And I think the same can be said for Vladdy as well. Um, we've, we've been really lucky to see some incredible talent, but can you imagine if Robbie Ray wins the Cy Young Award and yeah. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. win the MVP award. Wouldn't that be an incredible storyline? And then Jordan Romano, is he, he in Rookie of the Year contention too? Would- I, I don't think he's eligible for Rookie of the Year. I think he's past it. But, but um, Alec Manoa will probably be up there because if you look at the Rookie of the Year, you have Ryan Mountcastle, Alec Noah, and not like he's both really good players. It's it's a little slimmer for AL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, but you know, I I I gotta say I haven't been a big fan of Charlie Montoyo. So I know you know the you know first of all I think the AL and NL Manager of the Year awards are a complete joke. They mean nothing to me. They this is a hot take by the way, but. Yeah. I don't think managers win games, they lose them. And if I can think back to this year, he he made a lot of decisions I wasn't a big fan of. And yet 
kept this team together. So I guess there's these non-stat things that you could say about him. But of course, you and I are stat heads, so we're yeah. we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Charlie, I think is is he's over this year. He's grown to learn how to manage the bullpen, but. I, I, I like what you said there about how managers get teams' losses. It's the players that get the wins. It's the managers that get the losses based on yeah. bad bullpen decisions, um, like putting, we'll say, like Thornton over Trevor Richards, which wasn't a real thing. But No, that's, yeah, it's just been such a fun season to watch, and it's must-see TV every night. It is, and it's it's for any baseball fan as well because – you're you're talking a, a, a team that is is truly changing the game with the amount of home runs they hit and the 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 quickness of which their games have come and gone. Um, Can you imagine it, how much more home runs they would have hit had they been at Rogers Center the whole time, especially in April? Exactly. The dome down. Exactly. I think exactly. I think there might have been more, but having said yeah. that. Uh, I did not amount of home run like it's overwhelming between did you watch the 22 to they won 22 to 7 it I turn it off I'm like even I have my limits like this is ridiculous yeah I I feel like there's you know maybe it's me following other sports but I feel like one of the unwritten rules are complete garbage but I feel like one of those unwritten rules is to actually if you're, if it's the Orioles, a team that has been really bad, and you've just picked on them for many years, I feel like there's a limit to a, the amount of runs you can score. Yeah. So, and y- usually the amount of runs the Orioles score that should win you a ball game, but just not when you're playing the Blue Jays. Yes, totally. It's it 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 it's it's so funny because you could argue based on the statistical output of their pitchers of their hitters that you could argue that this team has underperformed based on these metrics yeah and there were a lot of close games the Jays lost in in May June uh that that I remember and I'm like going you gotta be kidding me we should have like collapses I remember talking to a colleague and I'm like can you just not bring this up and I was getting really angry because I just didn't want to talk about baseball because there were so many heartbreak ones but of course, they go on the tear of the last month, quite literally since they came back to Toronto. They've been yes, great. they've been phenomenal. They've had some cool down periods. I just think for that West Coast road trip, they've been unstoppable. Exactly. And that's my biggest worry, Thomas, as we go down the stretch. The Boston Red Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, not, not that the Jays had much of a legitimate chance to catch them in the division race, but... The New York Yankees, other Seattle Mariners, Oakland, they're they're still um, they're they're really close. They're, it, it's still anyone's anyone's game. It's just exactly it's just hitting all firing on all cylinders, and you hope that momentum continues until the wild card game. And of course, that scares me too. I I you know everything's on the line for one game. Who do you start? Who do you start at the, uh, the if they make the wild card game? I'd start Robbie Ray. I think. Okay, it's, so it's Robbie Ray, and then presumably the next day or the following day after, who's your next starter? So 
this is this is what I've been thinking about. So if it's any series, I want Hyunjin Ryu to pitch game one. And and the reason why is oh, I'm disagreeing it, hard on that. Here's here's the reason why though. If he pitches game one, the better pitchers get to pitch in more meaningful games. So he can be the guy who opens his and I know you always want to open the series strong, but if it comes down to an elimination game, I don't want Kenjin Ryu being the guy that hasn't pitched in the playoffs, just comes in. I want it to get guy to be like Alec Manoa or Jose Barrios. I actually think that they should treat him the way they treated R.A. Dickey, meaning he actually doesn't make the main rotation because in, in so if, if it's a divisional, if it's a wild card, uh, if they win the wild card, so I'm, I'm of the mindset, like, in that you put in Robbie Ray, put in Robbie Ray as the shutdown guy, put him in, get in, and now maybe in my mind you have after that, and it's tough because you're paying your ace. He's your ace, but exactly. Noah, you have, um, you know, you if, have if, if Strickland is healthy as well, if he is healthy, then no, I long uh, he'd be the long man in the rotation. I think I don't know if not rotation, but the swing man. He, you wouldn't put him in. I just feel like the way they need to line it up. I don't think. I think you got to go Robbie Ray Barrios, and then see if. Robbie Ray can pitch on short rest. Short rest is that like only five innings? We've we haven't really seen that before because he pitches so much. Okay, I'm gonna say something because I'm on Stephen Matz's Baseball Reference stat page right now. Yeah. What is incredible is he really hadn't had a great season in a few years. Yeah. What do you think the Pete Walker effect has been on on bringing some of these pitchers who you think are you know on the decline? I mean, I could we could remember Marco Estrada, what he transformed Estrada into. Look at what he's done for you know you know Mats, sort of stripling at times. Although again, stripling started. Me. I do not yeah. want you on my playoff. Just get off my playoff roster. I don't want you on my playoff roster. Anyway, sorry, but uh, but. Robbie Ray continually being the strikeout champion. Pete Walker is my M, one of my MVPs. He's yeah. he's there's something he knows how to do to make pitchers perform. He's he's managed through some bad pitching performances, especially from the bullpen. He's he's his attitude. I think it it doesn't change. It, he seems like a guy who's always positive and I think that can do a lot to to a pitcher that might be coming off a down season sometimes it's a change of scenery but if you're going to the Blue Jays it's three changes of scenery this year so I think he might be putting more of a priority on a pitcher's mental health and mental state of mind that's just my speculation because that can go a long way, as we've seen in sports today. What, what do you think's happened with Danny Jansen? It's been very interesting to see him yeah. come back and, and admittedly get his batting average over, over 200. And I was even seeing his OPS, and I'm like, 720? It's not, it's not bad for a, for a yeah. like, backup catcher. For, for a backup catcher. That... Like, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting about Alejandro Kirk. But... We've been lucky with 
Reese McGuire, Danny Jansen, and Reese McGuire is kind of he's he's puttered out a bit. I I didn't yeah. expect that to continue. Yeah. Um, and then I think the Blue Jays have been blessed with catchers in recent years because McGuire can give you a good stint of time. Alejandro Kirk, you know, maybe needs to slim down a little bit because I don't think it's a coincidence that it's like July or something. He had like or May he had like two home runs in a game the day after he's placed on like the sixty day IL. So yeah, I, he's he's a small. I call I I like to think of him as a butterball. Yeah. He, do you remember? Do you know Pudge Rodriguez, Yvonne Rodriguez? Do you you? We used to call him Pudge. Pudge is a very um, historic term in in baseball catchers. I think Carlton Fisk was referred to for a time as Pudge. So Pudge Rodriguez, they just look compact and you know looks like they're they're they're, they're they they weigh down the uh, <laughs> they're they they're very uh, bottom heavy. Put it that way. It would take a lot to push him over. Yeah. But I feel like there's something about Alejandro Kirk that's quite special because he can get so compact with his batting swing. So his strike zone is so small. Mm-hmm. And I was joking to my wife. It looks like it, like if he was an action figure, like you got a hammer and just hammered him down. And he comp- like he's so small, this guy, but he's so... Exactly. He's wait, wait, probably way over two hundred pounds. Like he, it's ridiculous. He's the Blue Jays' little engine that could. Exactly. I'm trying to find. Sorry, did I say two hundred pounds? The guy's okay. Five eight. Which, yeah. Pudgy, but who's been doing really well in, you know, from Tijuana, Mexico. So only 21 years old. We'll see how he evolves. Great scouting story. Plus, you have Gabby Gabby Moreno in the minor leagues as well. Uh, He's advertised to be pretty good. So this year is going to be kind of a turning point for catchers just to see who do you keep. Because you have Jansen, who's so on and off. Same with McGuire. Kirk's the one consistent guy, but obviously he has some of those health problems, you could say. I, I think you lean into the, the, their minor system. I don't think you do anything to really keep Jansen or McGuire unless, you, you know, there's still, how, how many more years are they going to have with us? Like, we have a couple more years. So it's just a shame that we can't, there's some catchers that you can move to DH, like we saw that with, uh, the versatility of uh, of Russell Martin, yeah. who would move, who could move to the infield, could be a DH. Even you could put him anywhere. Can't quite do that with the way the Jays infield and outfield is structured. You, these catchers are either a DH or a catcher, and right now we have we have enough offense right now where you kind of need that DH spot open. Well, R- Russell Martin was a great talent for the Jays. They. They've they've had a they've had a good run of catchers. I think yeah. maybe I feel like the trade value for Jansen is minuscule just because there is so many cons to trade for him. McGuire, I think you could actually get more, but I think you you go to the farms and see get Moreno and Kirk. Their catcher position is just gonna be very different. Um, you're gonna have to. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what the off season brings. But yeah, they have a lot of youth. 
Now, we've been in this place before. Do you remember they chose poorly when they had J.P. Aaron Sevilla and they had Yan Gomes? And they decided to ship off Yan Gomes to the Cleveland Indians and they kept J.P. Aaron Sevilla. By the way, he's an anti-vaxxer and he's uh, not... Uh, He's a, he's a pretty odd fella. But he, he was pretty a good baseball player. Like, he wasn't bad. I feel like he had one good game. The first game. His first, his, his coming out party where he had, like, two home runs, two yeah. double or something. But in general, he was ineffective. And, and it's hard for us, for you and I, to sort of assess how great is this catcher, you, you know, as, as, as more of, like, the de facto pitching coordinator and really managing the game. And I don't, I don't, think he was that great at it either but he was certainly offensively horrible if you look at his statistics other than maybe an acceptable first or second year he had Nian Gomes went on to be a pretty good player as well Nian Gomes if you can be a major leaguer for more than 10 years behind the backstop that's pretty good I mean can you imagine Yogi Berra playing all those years in catcher and pitching Whitey you know with Pitchers like Whitey Ford and, and, and whatnot and, and the, the MVP years he had. I don't know if a catcher like that exists, although... JT Real Muto. Uh, yeah, you, you have a few in the National League. Uh, uh, Molina. The yes. Molina brothers. Yadier Molina. And you have... Um, what's the gentleman's name from San Francisco? Uh, oh, Buster Posey. Buster Posey. Who's, who's probably not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, is he? Is he? I, I mean, I, he's... He won a. He had like most home runs a couple times in the twenty tens, but other than that, he hasn't. He, he obviously three World Series, two World Series. It's he. He'd have to play. He's already thirty. He's played twelve years. Uh, he has a batting average of three hundred, an OPS yeah. of eight thirty one, but he only has one hundred and fifty eight RBIs, and yeah, that's. He would have to get over 2,000 hits. He's at 1,486. He, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And it, he opted out of last season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But that said, I mean, how much of is, is a 60-game season going to have on your career? Obviously, he's yeah. had a good year this year, but when you're that when, age... When look at his uh, wins against replacement numbers. 44.4. That's really good. That's They're pretty impressive. Famers. In the Hall of Fame, that have less than that number, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, cat, there's. I I wonder if at this point, if Real Muto continues like this, if he can be a Hall of Famer, because Yachty and Posey have also had team success, whereas Real Muto hasn't. That's true, and oftentimes we look at catchers as what did they contribute to the team? But in the Hall of Fame, I don't know how much statisticians nowadays think of those non-statistical metrics. Like, he brought a lot of value to the team. Like, even, what's his name from the Yankees? Uh, their, their catcher. Gary Jorge Sanchez? Posada. Jorge Posada. He was with the team for, during their entire stretch of winning World Series after World Series. Now let's look at this. He's not he's not a Hall of Famer. But very similar numbers to Buster Posey actually. 275 home runs. 
1,060. Now, Buster Posey will get more hits, will get, mm. has a better batting average, gets on base a little bit more. But there was a time where her, you know, Jorge Posada, 848 OPS. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's so, very good. So, but that's the unfortunate thing. You play 17 years as catcher, it probably destroys your body. Exactly. But you just don't accumulate the stats like, you know, Carlton Fisk or, you know, Ivan Rodriguez, Mike Piazza. Although, let's be honest. Piazza, Pudge Rodriguez, steroids, steroids. Yeah. yeah. Like, look, look at Pudge Rodriguez in 1991. Look at him in 1998. Tell me that steroids didn't help him. Yeah, that's, that's another story. That's that's for our next. That's for our special feature podcast. Yes, that's steroids. That's episode. that's and we're gonna go deep. We're that's go for deep. another day. Yes, and it's it's uh yeah pretty crazy issue to think that I think well I, I won't get into it now we can do it later but uh that's... yeah we, we have too many things we have to say for future episodes exactly um so real quick then is Joey Votto a hall of famer to you yes yeah it, it, you, I, I'm not, I wasn't even gonna let you finish that sentence he he might he'll play a few more years but look at like I, it's. I always like looking at bestbaseballreference.com because if you go to Joey Votto's name, what they do is they will the the site bolds numbers when they're the statistical leader. Yes, leaders. and so then it's bold italic. Totals indicate, indicate player led league. Italic season totals indicate player led all, all the majors. Major he has the bold and italic in so many seasons and categories. Now summer games. Some are plate appearances, so that it really means he walked a lot, obviously. Like, yeah. But we're, we're seeing we're seeing a Hall of Famer and seeing uh, there's a bit of a, a sound lag there. Yeah. I think our connection screwing up. Yes, Hall of Famer, of course. Nine thirty six yeah. OPS, three hundred twenty six home runs. He's 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 logging. There's also some of the advanced stats as well that we found that helps him uh, helps his case a little bit more. He's he won that MVP a, a very long time ago, but he did win an MVP. Um, I think maybe also just like obviously this isn't for the Baseball Hall of Fame. They don't really consider this, but the the effect he's had on the game in Canada. Now he's grown the game in Canada, and how we're seeing more Canadian players start to make their name is it is immense. So, so for stats, what, how can the game grow using stats and advanced stats? I think, I think unfortunately, there's too many acronyms in Major League Baseball. Yeah, that's part of I think you know GD. GDP. People are going to think gross domestic product, or they're, they're going to yeah, they're not yeah. going to understand. You know, some of these, uh, you know, double plays grounded into like who's who would know that OPS. You know, that's one hundred OPS plus is one hundred invested to if it's just in a ballpark. Yes. Some of the stats are just not accessible. So that's what I'm like. What can people understand? Okay, understand. Here's how many times he gets on base. OPS. That's what I said the last time you and I talked. It's a very easy thing to understand. On base percentage, mm-hmm. number of number of times they get, 
you know, struck out. It's a good metric for me. Like, how many times are they making contact? Yeah. But, of course, people don't seem to care about strikeouts if you're hitting home runs and getting over 100 RBIs. It's a go big or go home league now. Mentality, yeah. Hit strikeouts, home runs. It's the game. Name of the game now. Yeah. Um, And the accessibility of stats is pretty big as well, considering... Some of the, a lot of the stats that we see and learn about are in TV broadcasts because it's the big guys are like ESPN who are buying like this Elias Sports Bureau stuff. And I feel like if it was a little more accessible, we'd have a very different game. Although there is a statistical revolution, if Elias became free and some of the other like Fangraphs became completely free. I think we'd have an even different game. I, th- I think you're right about that. That's that's part of the fun of it in the way that everyone looked at batting average, home runs, RBIs. That was every broadcast had that. Some broadcasts, I'm assuming, still have that. But just like Ricky Henderson is a Hall of Famer because of the stolen base, stolen base isn't what it was, and same yeah. with stats, and same with our expectations out of certain players. We, we, we need you to show your value and we're not going to keep you on our team simply because people have good feelings about you. That's, I, I feel like even the like Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken, keeping a player because he's just done things for you. I don't know if that exists. There's no such thing as loyalty. Yeah. There's not as much forgiveness anymore. You could say. Yes. Um, so, for, for, for the stats, um, one thing that's become big recently, and one thing that I was looking at Steven Mattress page on this couple of days ago, is uh, Baseball Savant, which is a website done by MLB, measures so many statistical things, it's, it's crazy. Um, what do you think of Baseball Savant? I sorry, I, I know my uh, my video disappeared here for some reason, but yeah, um, base sorry, baseball savvy, savant. So it's it's um it's baseball. I think I don't know. So baseball savant.mlb.com. So I can. So it's okay. Yeah, you'll have to educate me. Yeah. So it has a. Um, like the scoreboard and like win probability stuff on the scoreboard. Uh, there's probable oh, pitchers, okay. but but one thing that I like is the the illustrator. So you know, KC and Cleveland's on right now. So if I go there, and I can go do a pitcher's like. An illustration. I'm gonna have to check that out because I'm always I'm always interested in new ways to follow the game. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of um, a lot of cool stats, a lot of charts, and it there's and then and the illustrator is very interesting as well. It kind of shows like how good this X is at hitting balls and down and up, down and away or stuff like that, and how often a pitcher pitches in this area. Um, it's, it's very cool, but, uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't seen it, you can, uh, yeah, check that out. It's very, Thanks. very yeah, educated. We'll, we'll make sure our, uh, our, 
listeners uh, know where to go. Yeah, yeah, baseball7.mlb.com. Um, all right, what in in pitching? What's what's the best stat? Like, what do you think is the one that tells the most? Walks, hits per innings pitched. Is that? Am I behind the times, Thomas? Show me the way, because I I'm gonna lean into that. I, I like I like. Yeah, it's a whips a good stat as well. Um, it's it's I guess it's it's a more traditional, but it still works. It's very because hits are incidental, right? So exactly. you know, I don't know. There's there's weighted adjustments for pitchers, but you know what? I think I think ERA is still pretty good. Strikeouts. ERA, yeah. You you can't go wrong with like. Some some of the the ones that we've had for years, that were were kind of made that are still right and stuff that still are like the ones that still work, even though a lot don't. I I just like looking at a pitcher. There's a certain sound that the ball can make on certain pitchers. For a time, it was Aaron Sanchez, and you he would throw the ball. And it would have the spin rate and movement and yeah. kind of snap. And sometimes I think it's good to actually look at the player uh, uh, yourself. And does it does this seem like an awesome pitcher? Because I think that's the one thing with pitching is you know, certain pitchers like Ryu, Strowman, technically they pitch to the defensive behind them. But I feel like sometimes a guy like Robbie Ray or... Sanchez, just there's so much movement and good stuff that it's just nice to watch and not necessarily pay attention to the stats. Of yeah. course, you know, we all know what happened, unfortunately, there in Sanchez. Yeah. Uh, slowly declined. And then in the first game with the Houston Astros, he was part of a no-hitter, which is very coincidental, yeah. I think. Um, one stat that I like for pitchers is uh, FIP, fielding independent pitching. It measures, I'm just reading this off baseball reference, this stat measures a pitcher's effectiveness at preventing home runs, walks, hit, hits by pitch, and causing strikeouts. Um, it's, you know, the, when you hover over one of the numbers on, like, baseball reference, it says, like, the, the difference between the ERA and the FIP, so similar um, uh, stats. And same with uh, strikeouts per nine, we saw... Robbie Ray became the all-time leader in strikeouts per nine this year. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, really cool to see that. That was cool, and I I feel like it was unexpected. Like I can't believe we did Paralympic career. Yes, let's do that. Yes. All right. Let's uh, get that in now. So you went to the London Paralympics in 2012. You won a bronze medal at the 2015 Parapan Games. Um, just from someone who has not and likely won't be an athlete at the Olympics, how 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 was that? How, how never cool they never say never. Uh, I didn't I didn't think when I was your age that that would be even possible. But you never know what happens. But it was an amazing you know anytime you're representing your country or, or something that feels bigger than you are, it, it's it's an honor and it was fun to do something that I loved and turned into something big because I, I didn't calculate my, I don't, I don't, you know, there might be some athletes that get into sport because 
you know, they, they do it because they're calculating what it could lead to like 10 moves from now. But I kept playing tennis because I just loved doing it. And I tend to do things that I just love doing. And the fact that it allowed me to travel the world, represent Canada, ultimately win medals or a medal rather and, and some tournaments with with wearing the Canadian flag, it made me feel pretty cool. It, and in my head, I'm like, yes, I'm doing something for my country. And I think a lot yeah. of athletes feel like when they represent their country, like if they don't succeed, that they're letting Canada down. But of course, you're never let, leaving. <laughs> it's it, it's, it's yeah. just a mentality that certain athletes have because a lot of us, when we get to that level, we play for something even bigger than ourselves, which is Canada. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole... It's a whole country, like a whole country is watching you. Now, do you do you have any regrets when it comes to your parallel uh, tennis career? I wish I had used some of my PR skills when I was competing as an athlete to get more sponsors. Because if you're an amateur athlete, you're relying on not very much money and I never was really focused on money but in some respects it might have helped to get more uh like more more therapy and like like physiotherapy and coaching and mm. and other things because I think what happened near the end of my career is my body started breaking down and I needed to and I, and I probably didn't know my body as well as I know it now but I think I tried to do things that I probably should have I should have rested more I probably there was times where I probably didn't prepare as well for a tournament simply because I didn't get enough sleep my body hadn't recovered from travel there's a lot of learnings I I it's funny because I go to airports now and when I go to an airport it's like post-traumatic stress of feeling like you're going to a tournament so I just yeah. shut my brain down when I go to an airport and I'm just like locked in it annoys my wife to no end that I'm like that but it it, I was so focused on, you know, getting ready for a tournament, getting to my next event that I think in between, I should have done a little bit more to like stretch, take more rest, you know, you know just take more breaks and, and maybe get more, more sponsors. Cause I think sponsors could have really helped me with more of my encore training. Yeah. Um, all right. Final question. Uh, you, you you won at the Parapan Games and winning. You're you're from Toronto in the Toronto area, um, so you going to the Paralympics coming up. You know, short compared to winning in your hometown. What's what do you think is like the differences there? I think the bigger event is obviously the Paralympics because that's globally and at the Pan Am Games you're only playing Pan American countries so it's really still a lot of good countries Americas. it's it's a lot of good countries though it's a lot of good countries and I beat USA which is always a thrill to yeah. the Americans under any circumstances yeah but I did it in front of my family and I did it in front of my dad who at the time was very sick and so before he passed away he was able to see me win a medal which was awesome and I kind of retired on my own terms that way. Like, it felt like a good conclusion. There yeah. were you know, people telling me to stay on for one more year to go to Rio, and I just, I just didn't have it in me. I was exhausted. 
my body was broken, <laughs> broke, breaking down. And um, I just felt like it was a good cap off to the career. And of course, doing it in Toronto and in front of family made it almost more important to me. Yeah, like, you know, um, quitting while you're ahead is might yeah. ultimately be the better career move. Joel, thank you so much for doing this. Thomas, it was a pleasure and thank you for having me. I look forward to doing this again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was Joel Demby. Thank you for listening. Thank you.